Welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. In this episode, we'll hear two different Q&As from the opening weekend of Honey Boy, the first featuring writer-actor Shia LaBeouf, moderated by Ben Lyons of the Lion's Den podcast, and the second featuring Shia, director Alma Harrell, and actors Noah Jupe and Byron Bowers, moderated by Scott Mance. We hope you enjoy and come out to see Honey Boy, now playing at Landmark Theatre's nationwide. It's going to be one of those tonight. All right. All right. What a special film, dude. Thank you for your courage, yeah, your bravery. Easy. Thanks for coming Shia to see Shia LaBeouf, you. ladies and gentlemen. As a, New York, as a New Yorker, you get a pass for the Timberlands as an L.A. guy because you are a builder. You construct things piece by piece, and you appreciate that. Dude, what a segue right there. I told you it's going to be one of those. Come tonight. on. You, you take great pride in that process. You didn't approach this from, I want to make this movie about my life, and I'm going to do this, this, and this. It started as something much smaller, correct? Yeah, much smaller, much more severe. Um, yeah, it wasn't like, hey, let's go make a movie. It was like, hey, let's, let's try to survive. Let's try to get through this. Uh, I was back against the wall. Life, was, uh, life is life, and it was the lowest part of my life, and nobody was really trying to talk to me. And I was in a mental facility and hanging out with a bunch of pyromaniacs and other wonderful people. And uh, they told me I had PTSD and they said, the only way you're gonna get through this is if you write it down. And the guy I was in a room with was a, like a, he was a, he liked to journal. And so that was motivating on a small level. And I was sending stuff to Alma, I had a computer once a week. I'd go take my audio notes, transcribe them, throw them on Grammarly, get the punctuation cute, <laughs> send it back to Alma. And she kept cheerleading me from the sidelines. And um, yeah, we wound up here. And at that point, your relationship with Alma, it's not like, I'm the writer, you're the director, I'm gonna act, we're gonna do this thing together. There's this kind of trust and friendship that's developed between the two of you guys over time that, like you said, led you to here. So walk our audience through who Alma is. She can't be here tonight because she's in New York doing the same thing for the film. And um, she's uh, incredible spirit and force and presence in your life. Yeah, she's some kind of wizard in terms of her artist, but um, she's also just a G as a person. You know, she's just been sort of like you, just person been in my life for a long time. And um, but you know, we share similarities in terms of being crooked. You know, she's got her own twelve step life, and um, so we've always been uh, partnered on that type of thing, sort of sharing stories that way. She comes from a child of uh, she's a child of alcoholism, uh, uh, and has dealt with some uh, similar things that way. And um, she's just like my only platonic female friend. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so she's very important to me. You know, you got to hold on to those. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, would, I would send her, you know, pages. And uh, yeah, she, we had been looking for a narrative thing to make for a long time. We had made a Sigur Ross video uh, seven years back. Um, and I really enjoyed the process with her. If you watch any of her documentaries, she kind of has this musicality to her and she plays with um, truth and dreams and she floats all over the place. And so this felt kind of in the same vein and she was working on a TV show at the time and she, she put that on the side to sort of start grinding on this with me and I thought, whoa, you're gonna put that opportunity on the side to do this, this must be something special. And she just kept like, just like I said, she just kept cheerleading me. And uh, she's also the tastiest person I know. So when she, you know, just on every level, spiritually, aesthetically, she's just a G. So uh, when she said, hey, this is something you should really focus on, uh, your future lies in this, not just as an artist, but as a human, 
then I heard her and I just kept going. Yeah. And then Noah, who plays Otis, who's just fantastic in the role, really wonderful performance. Um, he did something in the audition that caught your eye, but it wasn't the actual doing the scenes. It was something else in his audition process that made you curious, right? Yeah, well, when I, when I, I we had gotten his tape, you know, we saw a bunch of tapes and, uh, and his tape was really good. And I heard he was British, so I'm like showing up, you know, I'm thinking, oh, no, no way. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I get to the waiting room and Pops is sitting in the waiting room and Pops is really wonderful and grounded and uh, I, I, uh, I'm like Where, where's the kid at and he's like oh he's over there and uh, I look outside of this casting office and he's pacing he's got his pages and he's pacing in the parking lot and I'm thinking mm. yeah that's, that's it there that, that's that thing that fire that when it really really fucking matters you know and uh, I go outside and I see him and uh, I call his name out and he doesn't look up. And I'm thinking, whoa. And I get I get really nervous, you know. And, and I'm like, what am I nervous for? It's my movie. What is going on here? <laughs> um, and uh, I walked over to him and I'm like, hey, man, uh, you want to read this a couple times? We didn't even say hi. He just like, yeah, he put his pages down on the back of my truck and uh, turned to me and just started, we started drilling. And uh, then I put my hat on his head. And I saw that that touched him. Like, I could see his face get red and his eyes start to well up like it mattered. And I thought, ooh, this is going to be special. So then we went in the audition room and we did the scene once or twice. And then I started taking like left turns and he would float with me. And I started taking right turns and saying things that weren't there. And he just kept floating with me. And um, he knew how to play jazz. Like he, And I knew that, okay, well, this would be better than the writing if we can like explore what we're feeling on the day and you'll move with me and you're not so tied to the pages. He's just an incredible actor, not even an incredible kid actor, just an incredible actor, actor. Uh, and I never treated him like a kid. He never treated me like a, like an, like an old guy. <laughs> it was always just, you know, we, we were always on the same page. Shit. If you're an old guy, what am I now? Damn. I've been doing this for a while, dude. Um, I love seeing Los Angeles as a character in this film because you are an L.A. kid. I say the name Raul Mondesi to you and you smile and laugh, right? So L.A. Is, is this part of this movie because it's part of you and your life. So what was it like just to shoot in your backyard, essentially? Yeah, I remember we, like, they gave us a Asian part. We didn't have a big budget. We only had 19 days and, like, $3 million and Three million sounds crazy, but for a movie, this is like pennies. And um, 19 days is nothing either. And it's hard to like rent space in LA. There's no like tax deductible, nothing. They're just trying to get us all out of here. But um, uh, yeah, like being able to be in a Asian park and film and like look over the hill and see Dodger Stadium. And like I'm filming in the same spot that when me and my family were broke, we used to go to the same spot and like watch third base to home. Like you could see half the stadium, third base to home. We sit there with the radio, listen to the game with my dad and watching half the game with binoculars. So these kind of things were crazy. Um, you know, uh, like going to like the Sundowner to go film. That's a bar that my dad used to work in. Uh, you know, certain AA spots around here. You know, it's the best AA in, in, in the world, really. So uh, really, I've been, you know, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, and, and having people who knew my dad be able to show up on set, like, you know, a lot of my dad's friends that I came up with would like ride their bikes down and be on set with us. And a lot of the crew members that I had, had worked on uh, stuff with for like 20 years were all, 
you know, it's nice when you're local and you can go home. You don't gotta, you know, you're not in transplant city, but yeah, I I love Los Angeles deeply, and uh, you can feel the city on 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 film. Talking about your experiences on set, but then there's a huge part of this movie that I know is so challenging for you, and it's to not be there. Like you tried to maybe be there for some of the stuff with Lucas, and you realized early on it's probably best for me not to. How did you come to that realization? Well, I'm a I'm an actor fan. Like I'm such a like actor whore. So for me, um, Lucas is up there even before I'd seen what he was doing, and uh, I, I was just really like flattered by the idea that he wanted to do this. And so uh, day one, um, they started with all Lucas's stuff. He filmed all his stuff out in a week. I think he had something else to do, or I don't know. But they started with all Lucas's stuff. So the barometer is here because he is a a genie, and. Um, uh, I remember showing up on set also because I didn't think it was real. Like, I just, just thought everybody was gassing me. I didn't think, oh, this is a real movie. I just, people are just like, <laughs> people are just trying to like motivate me, like to be joyful or something. I just thought I was. And then I get there and I see all the trucks and I see all the crew members, and that was very emotional. And then, uh, like a magnet, you know, you start gravitating to set, you know, and uh, I'm at the craft service and I don't really want to go inside because I, I remember working on McEnroe, Borg McEnroe, and thinking, you know, there was, a, there was a time where where, where John McEnroe was going to come to set, and I remember what that felt like. And so I didn't want to come to set because I, I didn't want to freak him out or mess with him, but I was just too curious. And I snuck in, and he was, like, in beast mode. This is, like, when he's doing the thing where he's grabbing his neck, and he's saying, oh, they're talking about suds, and he's like, why the fuck does it matter? If it, if it works, I'll know it, don't I? And that scene is, like, really heavy. And this is day one, and... Uh, I'm by the monitor, I look over at Alma, and Alma's crying, I'm just thinking, oh boy, this is a, I gotta get out of here. So, so I never came back until I was filming. Um, just cause one, I got, he would scare me, uh, and two, because cause I didn't want to scare him, you know, just out of respect, and you gotta give people agency, and I think if I was around, he'd have been very aware of like, things he didn't need to be aware of. I would imagine, dude, this is such a process, you know, to, to look backwards on your life, but in doing so, it is now, I would hope, giving you this newfound freedom or excitement about making movies and telling stories moving forward. So how does this one change your trajectory, change what you're trying to say, that truth you're always talking about seeking out? Like, how does doing this now open up what you think is going to come next? Uh, uh, well, it like just defines this idea that like transparency is punk rock you know it's a full theater it's opening weekend you know I'm bearing my soul and and it's selling tickets so that feels like wow um, especially when you're when you come from plastic and the landscape can appear plastic it's nice to know that like these kind of things still have an audience um, so but that's like big picture thinking small picture thinking I don't really think about career because I'm such a fucking <laughs> something walking on a tightrope I don't want to ask about career I was talking about <laughs> yeah. the art dude I want to know as just a creator yeah as a creator <laughs> see you presenting at the Globes for no reason yeah, no, 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 never no never um, um, no, never um, for real never ever uh, uh, um yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's nice to like learn how to fish. It's nice to, I'd never written a Christmas card before this. So, so it's nice to like know how Grammarly works, you know. My, really, like, it's nice that that thing exists. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I didn't really spend much time in school, you know. I was doing pie fights. So, so yeah, learning how to fish, you know. Uh, being able to, free time has always been like bad for me, you know. It's been really tricky free time because, 
that's when I spiral. So it's nice to know that that you can always fill free time and that that you know just gives you personal agency as a creator. You're not waiting for somebody to come up with something that you fit into. You can actually just get like curious and lost in life, and it's made me more curious about life. And I ask people more questions and I look at things deeply and. And uh, it's opened me up, yeah, more than just like the creator in me, the human in me is more apt to be compassionate to the world and open to the world and interested in the world in a way that I wasn't. You know, I was coming from quite a narcissistic place trying to figure out how the instrument works. So it's a lot of me, me, me. There's a certain level of narcissism that's indicative and necessary for this craft. And I think I was completely overwhelmed, like with me obsession. That's probably, you know, my biggest problem is not alcohol, it's this this constant uh, obsession with self, you know, that's been my issue. So to be a writer is to so is to be like a world explorer and it's, it's kind of saved me in, in a lot of ways. Even just writing stuff I'm not gonna send to nobody, just being curious about life. But imagine too that you're having less and less free time because of what I see on your hat. Oh yeah, it's yeah, Lawson yeah. Rec Center, for people who don't know, something that you've put your heart and soul into and how has that impacted the way you now tell stories and create? Yeah, every Saturday and Wednesday we have this, uh, I was there this morning, uh, we do this uh, down at the Slauson Rec Center, we have like a devised theater group, there's about 150 of us, and we move together and try to like sculpt bodies into a narrative, uh, and it's been really, one, rewarding, because you wind up with a group of friends and a community, but also the work is good, and it's a nice place to go on Saturday when I'd probably just be watching Judge Judy and eating pretzels and shit, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to have a group. It's nice to have like a creative space. It's nice to feel wanted. Uh, you know, they want us down there. It's nice to like show up and be a part of that community that uh, really these people don't have time to be creative. And uh, I know the value of what creativity could be. It could be like a lifesaver, not even on a cheese ball, not in a cheese ball way, in a very, very tangible, matter of fact way. Creativity saved my life, saved me from a whole bunch of wild shit, and also continues to save my life and so I know that this could be helpful to people down there but not even for charity like I'm, I'm just down there having fun with friends and it's nice to have friends you understand at, at that level it's about community and friends and whether it's a big movie a huge movie a plastic movie as you referred to the other ones that community is everything and you were able to build that on this and these people will be part of your life forever now. So as this film will be part of our life now forever, how do you build your community? And when you look at a film like this, how will these people you think stay a part of your life? Well, I've always been mad insecure, you know? So it's, I remember when I was like this dude's age, you know, it was so easy to like walk up to people and be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? You know? No like grown up can do that now. You can't just like walk up to somebody and be like, hey man, want to be my friend? People, <laughs> people look at you like, fuck out of here um so you know I'm, I'm getting back to that back to that kind of that naivete that like it's a knowing naivete of like being able to just say hey you want to be my friend but it's much easier to, instead of saying like hey do you want to be my friend it's much easier to say hey you want to build something with me hey, you want to create something hey you want to sketch hey you want to build a scene you want to write something it's the subtext is the same what you're really asking is hey you want to be my friend so i'm trying to get back to where you are but i gotta like put glitter on it and make it like you know, what all I'm really trying to do is like connect with people through creating stuff because I'm too insecure to just say, hey, want to be my friend. I've been very fortunate to be able to call you a friend for many years, and I'm so grateful and lucky and excited that all of you guys now get to connect with this incredible young man in a different way that you've ever seen before. So once again, give it up for Shia LaBeouf. Hey, thank you, guys. Awesome.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. What did you think of Honey Boy? Please welcome to the stage Byron Bowers. Please welcome to the stage director Alma Harrell. Please welcome to the stage the amazing, the amazing Noah Jupe. Jupe! Please welcome to the stage the spectacular Shia LaBeouf. He's coming. <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, I got to see this movie at the Sundance Film Festival in January, which Whoa. feels like uh, just a, yesterday, a right? Uh, well, oh my no. God. For me, no. it was I mean, a... He's turned into a teenager since A then, lifetime so. ago, Sundance World. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up again for this spectacular Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Thanks for coming to see it. We are talking about the premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh. And what that was like for, for all of you, I mean, you know, Alma, this is your first feature directing. Uh, Shia is your first screenplay feature. And of course, it's a very, very personal story. Yes. What was it like for all of you to, to be there at Eccles, 1,500 people, releasing such a deeply personal movie like this? Noah, you're good with this shit. Yeah, Go ahead. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cute. That's your cue. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't have words for it. It's not something that you can... You always have words for it. I d no, honestly, in this situation, this is one time I don't. It's not something I can technically describe apart from that. It, I'd never felt anything like it before. And it was a positive feeling, I assure you. But, it, you know, it was definitely like... Yeah, I was just kind of blown away by yeah, it. Yeah, I was, I was... Yeah, I was also just... Uh, I don't know, really kind of present, actually. Not panicky, just very present and kind of waiting to share it. Then I saw Noah bawling and crying, and then I lost my shit completely. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How about for you? I like these little holsters you got in these chairs right here. <laughs> yeah, these seats, are, these seats are great. Pretty good seats. Um, I, yeah, I'm, over, I'm overwhelmed by this whole thing, obviously, as, as you can imagine. This whole thing's been quite overwhelming, hard to really articulate other than whoa. Um, Sundance, Sundance is a bit like a, like, uh, like a yard sale, so hard to, hard to enjoy it because it's very business heavy, but nice to see Alma flourish there, know my girl is on, know my friends are on, know that uh, you know, we had a lot of pressure on us to make it, and, and um, the majority of the reviews are pretty good, so I know my dad would read it and feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, just positive and overwhelming and hard to articulate. How about for you, Byron? Oh, it was amazing to be present with 1500 people as they went on this emotional roller coaster you know and i i waited to see the film into sunday and so i was there with them and i remember looking like a seat in front of me and seeing uh alma see noah cry and start crying and then like you know i'm looking at shia and he like Shia's mom yeah like so and we all went down and it was a beautiful moment you know you know the the two of you, Alma and Shai, have known each other for a few years. But what made it the right thing to do for you to work together, for you to direct from his screenplay and have him star in the film? Um, you know, just just the fact that it was, the way it was written, and, and you kind of see it in the film, but really it couldn't be more real, that it was really written inside 
uh, this rehab slash mental health, you know, facility where he got diagnosed with PTSD and sent it to me from there. And just reading it and feeling like so intense about it and it, it was so raw and, and real and full of love and pain kind of and the back and forth and just his writing really struck me. It was just like one of the best things I've ever read and probably ever will read. Um, and knowing where he was at and wanting to tell his story and also just wanting to kind of somewhat tell my own story because I am also a child of an alcoholic and although my father is very different and the circumstances were different, it's just that kind of responsibility that you have as a child when you live with somebody unpredictable or somebody that is addicted and you kind of almost have to be the adult but at the same time you constantly kind of you know struggle with your own childhood um it was really kind of it, it seemed like the most you know urgent thing i can do and i had to just put everything i was doing and, and go for it and just loving shaya you know too just a lot of love you know the, just Shia, your performance in this movie is a tour de force. It is the performance of your career. Now, just by any measure, it's a tour de force performance, but there's also the added uh, uniqueness of it that you are playing a character who's basically your father. You're good at this. You're very yeah, good at this. Yeah, how you, how you take those pauses and everything. You're very slick with this. I did my homework, right? Um, but you know, what were the challenges to really just Give it your all like that. Well, uh, letting people in. I think, you know, I was quite closed off walking in and, you know, on the page you're getting naked. Uh, and then a lot of people are asking questions, you know, and, and some of those questions don't have answers. I think that was probably the hardest thing is that people think you come out of this PTSD type thing and shit is solved. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, shit's not solved. I'm still working on it on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm an alcoholic. That's a day-to-day -day thing. So it wasn't like I walked out in this, you know, fucking Captain Planet and I got the ring and I got like, you know, it just wasn't like that. So and having a lot of people, I'm not good at multitasking and I'm not like super social on a set. But when you're in a situation where, you know, the subject matter, you're like the expert on the subject matter, but you're also trying to have selfish time to be able to like bond with your boy. You know, it's it's like it's it's hard just getting taxed, like having people ask you all these questions constantly. Like I'd be with him, and then he, you know, here comes Lucas, wonderful actor, but he's totally invested, totally immersed in it. All these questions, and you're trying to give him everything you know, and you actually don't know the answer to his questions. Or prop guy comes in, and he says this or that, and just small things like that will just take you off of your wave when you're trying to like just play magic cards, um, which is how we really bonded. You know, Magic the Gathering, it's a great game. <laughs> But what were some of the other ways, you know, because Noah, your performance in this film brilliant. is absolutely brilliant and sensational. I mean, it is. Whoa. It's Whoa. the truth. I mean, I swear. And, and like, it's not just the bonding. It's the building of the trust. Because there are, are quite a few scenes in this film that get quite heavy. So how yeah. did you build the trust? Yeah, I mean, th thank you so much. Um, it's just... Honestly, this was a testament to kind of time spent. Um, and it was that sort of thing where the first stage, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be turning up at your house every day. I'll be like, you know, we'll, we'll hang out so much. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, he'll make these things and it won't actually happen. But it did. Like, he would turn up at my house 8 a.m. every morning. We'd juggle. We'd play Magic the Gathering. We'd run through, like, the whole script. We'd walk. We'd go on walks. We'd go... You know, we'd, we'd go watch Avengers Infinity War. I took him to see, which was funny. 
Um, he, he loved it. He loved it. Um, but <laughs> I was rooting for it. I was rooting for it. <laughs> did you see Endgame? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but anyway, it's uh, yeah. So just kind of like hang out with him, and also just you know building a friendship and that trust for us. You know, part of it was just because I love Shia and I love being with him. And I think he loves being with me. I'm not Big quite time. sure. Big um, time, crazy. But, but you know, th- it was that thing of we were just building a relationship as friends and not worrying about building the trust for the character. Mm. And so when we got on set, we were like, whoa, the, the trust is there because we'd spent all this time together. And um, and actually, that's a l- that's big thanks to Alma a, a lot. She got me in like a month early to to make sure that I was kind of felt safe with everyone here and I did and that was a big part of my performance was feeling safe and and being able to risk and that was down to the kind of relationship with these guys. So when you finally did get going on filming, Alma, what part during the filming process did you film the scenes with Byron and with Lucas Hedges? We actually started the film with uh, Lucas and Byron. I think the second day we, we filmed this whole film in 19 days. So 19 days. Yeah. yeah. So it was grueling. I mean, I I can't tell you how time stretches when you do something like that. I thought it would never end, and it went so quickly. That it was the same thing at the same time. Um, but yeah, the second day of the shoot was basically Lucas doing all the therapy scenes that you see in the film in one day, which was absolutely, you know, it, it was very, very taxing on on him, first of all, but on everybody, I think it was just really uh, just a kickoff to what we're about to do, and everything got amped up once we moved into the motel, which was like a lot of the first week, um, you know, we did also a lot of the visual stuff and a lot of the stuff with Lucas to kind of sets up the world, you know, but, um, but and, and the stuff with Byron, we're in the few more days and uh, the few first days, and then we just like kind of walked into the motel and stayed there for 11 days, which were just, I can't even believe um, how much <laughs> went down in those days emotionally. It was really, yeah, a testimony to these guys that they could pull it off, you know, such, such a big amount of pages, but also just to, deal with such traumatic material. And uh, obviously, it's not an easy film, but it's also a funny film sometimes. And just to go between those ups and downs together was was pretty trippy. You know, the, you, you, so you film your scenes with Lucas first, and you're kind of setting the stage, setting the tone. Uh, what was the challenges with that, especially because you were starting? And also, what was it like to work with, with Lucas? Um, uh, the challenge was like, how to um, authentically uh, sleep <laughs> after waking up to prepare to sleep, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't know I would do that. I, like, I got like a lot of rest for my big day tomorrow, and they showed up, and they wanted me to sleep. And I was like, God damn. <laughs> um, and uh, working with Lucas was was amazing because I was felt like I was working like like we were like partners or some sort like we was able to communicate uh non-verbally and um and be you know he was Otis and I was Percy and we let the relationship develop 
and you saw us meeting for the first time when he walks into the uh you know into the place and i'm like who this who the hell is this dude and then we became roommates and then like to actually becoming friends um which is something we all kind of go through out here unless you meet your roommate on craigslist Abba, you were talking about how you know so many scenes inside the, mo the motel you know between the two of you noah and shia um how much of all that did you sort of get to improvise with and uh and also, the thing about those scenes is it really runs the gamut of emotions because some of the scenes are really quite tender and sweet, and then there are other scenes that are, that are, that are not. So what was it like to, to shoot those scenes, especially in such a fast-paced uh, schedule? I mean, it was a mixture of it. Like, uh, it wasn't one thing. I mean, first of all, they ran through it for a while, so they kind of knew what it is when they walked in, but then they just took off. So it would be, you know, we would do like, I don't know, seven, eight, ten takes sometimes of certain scenes, and sometimes each take would be different. Uh, and they would find things, or they would like really juggle, and like things would happen, or the ball would fall, and they would just play with it and react to it and keep going. As if, you know, there was no, like, you got to hit that mark and, like, you got, let's cut because that didn't work and do it exactly again like it was in the script. There was none of that. I was not ever attached to the script. It was all always free and just kind of them, you know, jamming and dancing and jazzing. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, there were few scenes that obviously were harder than others, and those were just extremely painful to film just and to watch and to be thrown into it and, yeah. What were the hardest? The, what was the hardest scene for the two of you to film? Ooh. Um, for me, um, probably, probably the kind of scene. I don't. I, I I call it the monologue scene. Just like you know how you have name. You, I just develop names for scenes that somehow so I can remember them but I call it the monologue scene it's a scene where um, in the chair yeah in the chair and I kind of confront my dad and, and tell him how I feel but then it ends up being in my head and then I actually can't confront him and it's very different to how I worded it in my head um, and that scene was just that was scene was I mean it was the last day that we, you know, I, I we kind of climbed the mountain already, and I was I was ready ready to be finished, um, as we all were, um, and and this was kind of a very important scene to me, um, and yeah, that that was that was tough. That was a tough kind of emotional ride that I went through in that scene. What about for you, Shia? What was the hardest scene for you? Well, I'll just speak to that, but it's because there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because we saved it for the last minute, yeah. and because me and you had we couldn't connect. I'm sleeping, and you're by yourself. It's like a solo, solo performance. Whereas the rest of the movie, we're we're, we're with each other. Yeah. Um, so much of my performance is like looking in his eyes and feeling him. Because you you you're, you're scratching scabs that don't bleed anymore. You know, you already put it on paper. You got financing from 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 these people. There's trucks. There's craft service. It feels like a fucking celebration, you know. So, so it's hard to get back to the pain because you're in the middle of this celebration of this this craft, you know. Like I'm sure there's filmmakers in this room. Once you get your movie up and running, it's like, ooh, fuck, this is awesome. Or you know, any artist in this room. Once you're in the process, it's a celebration, even if it's heavy and hard. So it's hard to get back to the pain part. So, um, 
yeah, scenes where we had to like dive into pain, stuff like that, or uh, you know, like monologuing when 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 it's just one of us kind of playing solos as opposed to the banter. So he had his monologue in the chair while I'm sleeping, and I had some kind of monologue like that when I'm coming back from being high and sitting on the toilet. And I would say, yeah, for both of us, uh, hard for the same reasons, because there's one, there's all this narrative pressure where you got to, this is where the script, you know, turns the knob, and because you're, you can't rely on your dance partner, you're having to do like pirouettes by yourself. So uh, hard for the same reasons, just because we don't have each other, you know, you can't interject. You know, uh, no, I want to ask, like, you had come off of a, a movie called A Quiet Place, which is an amazing film, and to make, uh, to make Honey Boy. So what was the difference uh, between working on, a, like, a, a big production, you know, studio Hollywood film like A Quiet Place and going into shoot something real guerrilla style almost like Be nice. Honey Boy? <laughs> <laughs> to which movie? No, I'm joking. Um... <laughs> No, it, it honestly, with this with this job, no job is the same, and you kind of sign up to this to be surprised and to be kind of put out of place and to be kind of in the in the deep end and kind of thrown in the deep end, um, and in both of the, these movies, I I was, and. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can't, com you can't compare them in that sense that, um, you know, I, the the characters were both equally, I both, I delved into them equally, and, um, I again, I on a quiet place there was that family dynamic and like this one, and then there was that, that sort of thing of having those safe people around you. And cause we, you know, we were on like number 10 the whole time we're running from these like monsters and, wow. and stuff. So th that was hard in itself. And there, there were its, there was its hard, there were the hard parts of A Quiet Place, and the, the hard parts of this. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if you, you they're almost, they're almost similar in that sense, but, but so different. Long story short, ours was a better set to be on. <laughs> No. I remember what you told me yesterday. <laughs> so, so when before when you started filming, had you had you met everyone on the cast? Uh, I didn't. I met I, I, Lucas. Uh, I seen or he came to see my comedy a few times, so I knew who he was. But I didn't even meet him. I met Otis. You know, he was already beefed up, working out, just pacing real fast. You know, in and out. You know, so. Um, it wasn't until like Tiff, you know, that I was like, oh, this is who Lucas really is. Um, but, um, and then I knew everybody else was just in the zone. Like I was the last to get on board. So I figured that everybody like was deep into their character and deep into who they was. So I was like, oh shit, I gotta learn how to knit real fast, you know? <laughs> but like, so when you, when you see the film and it's all cut, uh, you know, edited, uh, which is which is really where the film comes together in in editing, and you see how it's it's nonlinear, and you see your scenes uh, inter weaving with with theirs. I mean, what was it like to, to like see the whole picture, and, and what impressed you the most about the performances from Noah and from Shy? Uh, when I saw it, I, I like oh I, I was funny, I was going for serious, and I and I'm, I defaulted to funny. 
<laughs> so that was, uh, and, and then everybody said it was needed. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then to see these two perform, um, it, it, I, I get to see it with words. Because when I would, I would pop on set and watch it through the monitor without words, and I would feel a certain way. And sometimes I like to watch stuff, just look at it and see what people are saying without dialogue. And um, it still, I still was emotional. And then when the dialogue was added and with, when everybody in the theater was added, it just, it just heightened everything. And I had to go on that, that ride and I had to get triggered even with, you know, my dad was an addict also, but um, he did crack instead of uh, alcohol because he had a gluten allergy. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I got emotional with everybody in the theater, you know? So, yeah. And I, I read a linear, linear script and then, and then they turned out like they, they mixed it up and it, and it became a story. And I thought the story would be lost. But it wasn't. It became more beautiful, you know. So, so how did is that? Is that what happened? Like there was going to be a third act just with with older Otis, and it became nonlinear. Yeah, it was. Uh, it opened with you know Noah in the pie, and then just kind of went through that whole part of the story. Uh, first, second act. Third act was like Lucas um, on you know on the set, and then went through all of that. So it was uh, it, it was written like that, and then at the end they they met. Uh, but when we got into the editing room, it just felt like you had to know the consequences first. And also, I wanted to really kind of capture this idea of going backwards and trying to figure out how did you get fucked up and what happened and how did your wires get crossed between love and pain and pity and all of these things that can confuse you and make you think that that's the only way to live uh, and make art and, and be in relationships and you know all that stuff that happens to people that have to figure out their trauma. So I think that structure just worked better and it was more genuine to how it was written. Shai, I want to ask, like, how did making this movie, writing it, acting in it, seeing it through its fruition from Sundance to now, how did that get you back on track, get your, your relationship with your family back on track? Well, me and my dad weren't talking at all. I hadn't talked to him in seven years before this started. I probably wouldn't have talked to him if this didn't. Uh, the whole motivation behind me connecting with him was was my creative life. Um, you know, I needed his life rights. It wasn't even about I need a dad or I need a friend. I was still on some resentment kick and still had like a, uh, yeah, still wasn't trying to be his buddy. So uh, really, it was like fake it till you make it. We're in a good spot now, but I, you know, I was holding on to it. I thought that was the only way to work, like what she was saying. This old like '70s method myth of you know you got to bleed on camera, basically. This was the myths that I grew up with. Um, and then working with dudes like this, and working with dudes like Lucas, you know, you see guys working a different way, more technically savvy. Uh, more readily available, emotions readily available. This dude flips switches, you know, can flip them back off. You know, I have a hard time doing that. Um, but being around guys who can, you know, makes you feel hopeful about things that you can implement into your own craft and start moving different as a creator. Um, so, yeah, I got my relationship with my... It's also the most loving set I've ever been on. And maybe it's because of the material, but I just felt super loved on, like just in the middle of a constant uh, hug from everybody. It was also the crew... 
the crew had been assembled from like, you know, 20 years of me doing this, you know, so you got crew from even Stevens and crew from Transformers and crew from Constantine and crew from all this, like movies that you had done throughout Our the course of your producer, life. Our line producer, David Grace, on this film was the line producer on even Stevens. Yeah, and knew Shia's dad. And that was yeah. like a constant thing that people would be like, you know, kind of tripping on while we were shooting this. This was going on and they didn't know either. So you have like a, a behind the scenes movie of just like a minute of hugs on this set. Yeah, there is. It's <laughs> a lot of hugs. Christine edited that actually. It's like a, the most huggable and kissable set ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of decided not to put it out just to... It felt like each hug meant something, and when they were all together, it just felt like a commercial. <laughs> but, uh, but there was a, a constant need to, to hug each other. I think, like uh, out of that came out of the work too. You know. Wow. What was it like for you the first time you got all made up, the hair, the glasses, and uh, looked in the mirror? Oh, I was just giggling. You know, like that that giggle where I don't know where where. You, where there's like a just a known known, it's just so known. Like you just start giggling, it's just so right that you giggle. Yeah, and I was in there with a, with this with with uh, you know squad that I had been with and knew my dad, you know, so they knew also. So it was just like a giggly ass room, <laughs> just giggling, just giggling, and then a long stare, and then like getting lost and a little bit of mind fuckery and taking pictures and sending them to my pop, you know, giggling. You know, just, just like that known giggle, like here we go kind of thing. Now, what did you learn from Shia as an actor? And what did you learn from Shia just about? Be nice. About, about life. Um, I mean, Shia is a truth seeker. So I guess um, to pursue the truth as much as possible at any point possible and to always you know seek it out in your performances in life um but yeah just stay true to yourself as well um because you're the one that you have to live with for the rest of your life so man <laughs> that's something a 50 year old would say <laughs> right <laughs> what's that supposed to say well, ladies and gentlemen, just three three quick uh, announcements first. If you could uh, stay seated while we exit so we can bolt to another thing. Second is this movie is now in theaters. So you know, make sure that you make, tell people, spread the reviews by going on social media. Go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you're still using MySpace. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> the third thing is this, Shia. So Honey Boy... Amazing reviews. Last I checked, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Your other film this year, hang on, your other film this year. Fuck that other movie, Honey Boy, let's go. Okay. <laughs> the Peanut Butter Falcon. All right. All right. Hang on. Yeah. Has made more than $20 million, making it the highest grossing independent film of 2019. Oh, these, are, these are really important stats right here. So I hope you're feeling the love. I do, I do. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank, Thank you for coming. Keep coming back. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content.
See you next time.